So when we were thinking about the beginning of the year, we were thinking about kind of what we wanted to do to launch uh, this year. We've done several different things as a church. We've done uh, 21 days of prayer, several Januaries and things, and we're not doing it in January this year. It's not because we don't love prayer or anything like that. We just, it wasn't something that we were doing to set some sort of precedent. It's just, we're going to do something a little different this year towards Easter. So we're going to be doing a countdown uh, and some prayer and scripture time between uh, before Easter this year. Um, so we, we talked about, you know, just kind of what did we want to talk about and kick off the year, and kind of around our staff and our, our leadership, um, programming leadership, we just kind of said, look, we want to address kind of, kind of this theme that happens at the beginning of the year when everybody wants to do a little better and get back to the gym and the resolutions and the goals, and the, that's great, but from a, a growth standpoint, spiritually growing, um, sometimes people get stuck in what to do next or what, what path to take, and so, you know, I can't remember who came up with it, but it was very, it was just like, let's just talk about, like, the way we practice our, our faith, you know, and, and, and then uh, I think uh, Chris added on, like, for everyday people, like, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be a seminary graduate for this, like, these, these are the spiritual practices for everyday people, which is all of us in the room, right? So that's, that's what we wanted to kind of look at this year, and I think if you were here, part of a, a series we did in the fall, we talked about our faith and how it grows, and I'm going to read one of the statements that I gave you then, just to kind of remind you. Um, our faith doesn't grow in the same way like linear and, you know, like the way it's measured. Our faith grows when we engage uh, what God's called us to do. So we say when our faith in action, not just what we say we believe, but our faith in action, practice, intersects with God's faithfulness, that's when our faith grows, right? And faith is defined by Hebrews 11 and as confidence and assurance. And so that's what we talked about that series. That whole series was just what does it look like for our faith to grow? But I want to come back to that statement that it's, it's in action. It's stuff that we have to engage and do. And so in the church world, you know, in the spiritual realm, so to speak, the, the phrase or the term that we use for our faith in action is called spiritual disciplines. All right, spiritual disciplines. And so just like any other discipline, uh, physical, mental health, you know, uh, just food health-wise, like any other discipline you are facing in your life and you have to like put some practices in place to do some things, same thing with spiritual disciplines. They are personal, meaning that no one else can do it for you. You have to do it. Uh, it's an activity and a behavior, right, that, that is for practice and training. That, that's what a discipline is is. So it goes the same thing. And hopefully you guys have already, I know several of you have already started this year. You can go back to the gym, you know, you're going to work out every day. And then you slept in one day and you're like, I'm going to work out every other day, you know. And so uh, you, 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 you know, you had some mental health things you wanted to do to just have a more, a better outlook on life. And so you're keeping a thank, thank, uh, what's it called? A thank giving journal or, you know, a thankfulness journal. Uh, there's people who are like, you know, don't you dare bring cookies home. You know, does you, you keep them at work, you shove them in the car. I don't care what you got to do. Don't you dare bring cookies in this house, right? I mean, you want to, you're, you're, you're putting practices and disciplines into place in order to help you accomplish your goal. Maybe it's a social media fast. Maybe it's a dry January. There's, there's just, it doesn't matter what it is, you have to have practices you put in place. And so it's not going to be any different this year as you think about what God wants you to do, as you think about where God might be taking you. And, and what practices, what spiritual practices do you engage in just as a normal person 
to experience what God wants you to experience. And so we're going to talk about that in this uh, series. Here's a great scripture that we're using kind of as our key uh, passage for the series. This is from 1 Timothy. This is Paul talking to Timothy, who he has discipled and led. And Timothy is now pastoring and leading and discipling others. And he says that to Timothy, look, if you explain these things to your brothers and sisters, talking about the things of God, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Jesus Christ, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. And he goes on to say, look, don't waste your time arguing over godless uh, ideas and old wives' tales. You know, that's a good resolution for all of us in the room, right? Like, like, just stop wasting your time with everything that doesn't matter, right? The old wives' tales or godless, whatever. He says, but instead, what? Train yourself to be godly. Now, that's not a word or a phrase that we often use in kind of church world, but this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Train yourself in righteousness. Train yourself to be godly. And he keeps going and says, physical training is good. Right? So he's comparing it himself with the practices and the disciplines of physical training. He says, but training for godliness is better, much better. Why? Because it promises uh, benefits in this life and in the life to come. There is, there, is, there is something to understand when it comes to the everyday practices or the practices for everyday people that, that look, physical training and some of the things you want to do for your health this year, Bravo, you know, good, good for you. That's great. But, but training spiritually with these spiritual practices and disciplines, training for godliness is better for you, not just because, you know, eternity and heaven, and it's like, but it's for this life and in the next. And so spiritual disciplines are, again, what we're going to be talking about in this series. Uh, here's a great um, quote by Do- uh, Douglas Rumford. He's, he's written a little bit on, on discipleship. We're going to share an author and a book with you in a minute uh, that we definitely encourage. But here's what he says that I love. It says, spiritual disciplines is developing soul reflexes, right? Soul reflexes so that we know how to live. We discipline ourselves to develop soul memory in normal times so that we'll be equipped for the times of high demand and deep crisis, right? We, it's like we're doing the things now when it hasn't hit the fan yet because it's, you know, we got, we got the attention to be able to do it, but it's so that we can have kind of these reflexes, these soul memory, the things in our pocket to pull from when things, you know, crisis happens, when things uh, happen. And so uh, one of the guys that we definitely recommend, his name is Richard Foster, uh, kind of in church world, he's known as the father of, of, of the disciplines. Um, but he's got a great book. It's called uh, Celebration of Discipline, the Path of Spiritual Growth. And, and he's got an incredible story. If you look it up, there's lots of papers and he's written several books. But this is a great book that we can encourage you that if this is something you want to read more on, uh, you can read it. So here's a couple quotes from the book just to tell you a little bit of his story uh, before we continue to d- dive in. Here's a, a great quote. Uh, which I can't read right now. I'll read it over here. All right, here we go. Joy, right? Joy is the keynote of all disciplines. And he says the purpose of the disciplines, meaning any any of the disciplines he talks about, spiritual disciplines specifically to God, he says is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. And the primary requirement is a longing for God. Right? This is the spiritual practices of everyday people. You do not have to have a degree from a seminary. You do not have to have, like, you don't have to have these things. What you do have to have is a thirst and a hunger 
to know God better, to be closer, to, to grow in your faith. That's the only requirement, or that's the primary, he says, requirement. Uh, just again, sharing a little of his story, I'll give you the brief summary. He was a pastor, but he was also primarily in academia for a very long period of his life. And so early in his life, what he was noticing as a pastor in ministry and you know, dealing with professors and students in academia is he said that when people came to him with sort of life crisis stuff, he said people came to him and he felt like he was able to help a little bit, but he always felt like he was insufficient, that there was something missing. He, he kind of described it like, I just didn't feel like I had any depth to give. I didn't feel like I had anything. It was like I, I was trying to help, but it just was quips and, and, and just simple things. He actually goes on to say, like, people were starving for significance, and I had nothing to give them. He goes on to actually, uh, this is one of his quotes. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age, but a, there's a desperate need today, not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for a deep people. Meaning that there's got to be some substance and significance in someone's life, especially in the life of faith, if they really want to be able to help others. And so that, this is just his own personal story. This is what he was dealing with, which is why he sort of dove into all these spiritual disciplines. Here's the next uh, uh, quote. It says, God has given us these disciplines, uh, the disciplines of the spiritual life, as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. And if you think about that, that letter that Paul wrote to the, to the church in Rome, where he says, look, don't copy the behaviors of this world, the patterns and the behaviors of this world. Like, that's the surface level stuff, right? Like, don't just do that. Like, let God change the way you think. Let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. That, that is the significance of what we're talking about in terms of how the disciplines work and really the purpose uh, of these disciplines. I'll do, give you one more thing uh, that I love from his writings and from his book that um, it's a concept that we, we wouldn't use it again. He's, he primarily was dealing with academia. He was primarily dealing with helping people understand at a higher level. Um, so he talked about the process of something called indirection. Right? It's something that we wouldn't use that word, but we understand what he means when I, when I read the, the process to you. He says spiritual disciplines have this process of indirection in them. It's like how they work. He says the process of indirection describes the means whereby we participate in something that we can do by direct effort. Meaning it does take us, it does take something from us. We have to do something in order to engage in the spiritual disciplines. He says the practice of spiritual difference uh, we, is a direct effort on our end. But it's in order to receive resources to do what we could never do by direct effort. And the example he gives is like loving our enemies. Right? He's basically saying these spiritual disciplines are designed, there's an indirection that happens in this process when we're focused like this, our spiritual disciplines are focused like this, we are receiving the resources and able to be able to deal with this, right? I mean, I can't, by my own direct effort, forgive someone who's betrayed me. I can't do it. But the more I focus here, the more I can. I can't love my enemies. I mean, the people who hate me, who want to cause me harm, who would want to cause my family harm. I can't love them. Not direct effort, 
I don't care what you guys think of your pastor. I ain't going to do it, right? But it's only through this. It's only through the spiritual discipline. It's only through that, that indirection. We would call it the work of the Holy Spirit where this, where this happens and we receive the resources that we need to be able to do what we could never do on our own. And so, again, I, I really do challenge you to read the book and engage in this. But I'm going to give you really quickly, just to help start our series, um, the three categories that Richard Foster kind of talks about spiritual disciplines in. Let me just give you a little preface real quick. Um, we're going to read through some things, but I'm not giving these to you as a list for things for you to check off and, and, and sort of work on. We, we tend to approach spiritual things sometimes like a buffet, right? Like I'm going to work on this or take this and, you know, and bypass the vegetables and where's the chicken wings and where's the, everybody with me? Like this is, that's, that's what we tend to do with spiritual things. So I'm just saying, this is, you're going to see in a minute, this is not, he doesn't do this to give us a list of things to work on. He, he breaks it out, which is one of the reasons I like it. He breaks out these three categories, if you will, of spiritual disciplines. They're not even all the things you might consider to be a spiritual discipline, but he breaks it out so that you can see how intertwined they actually are, all of them. So here's how he starts off. He talks about the first one, which is inward, inward disciplines. Here's a great passage, uh, Paul to the church in Galatia. He says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Paul's telling the church, don't try to figure out this way to do things on your own. Try to figure out how to do things outside of God's plan. You're not that smart. And God will not be fooled. That's basically what he's saying. God will not be mocked. And he goes on to say, a man reaps what he sows. Like that's the system that God created. You are going to reap what you sow. And he goes on to say, but whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they reap destruction. They reap all the things that are bad for you. He says, but whoever sows to please the Spirit... From the Spirit will reap eternal life. Whoever sows, whoever invests, whoever you know, engages in these practices that please the Spirit of God, you're going to experience life from these things. You know, but but you, you're not, trust me, you're not smart enough. You're not going to get around what God created and designed. You're going to only reap what you sow. You, this is why, again, this is a personal engagement. No one else can do this for you. So these inward disciplines are the foundation, I kind of call it the foundational disciplines. They're the thing that no one who even knows you, even your spouse, they don't really know if you're doing or not. I mean, they could probably, we'll talk about the other disciplines in a minute, but the inward disciplines are the things that, that you, you can kind of fake it a little bit. You can come with the corporate stuff and you can be involved in group studies and all the kind of thing, but these, these things that are so foundational are the things that actually give you substance. They're the meat on the bones, so to speak. Here's the way he categorizes them. Meditation, memorization from reading the word of God and memorizing and, and, and understanding its importance. We have to kind of be able to focus, has spend focused attention and energy on it. Prayer, fasting, which are two very different things oftentimes talked about together, but two very different disciplines. Uh, and then study, study which would also go back to the reading, but we'll talk about why study uh, is important. Right? So we look at first the foundational piece, which is the word of God. So 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, says it this way. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So there's, you know, we look at it and say, well, the purpose of the word of God, like, you know, was it really given for us to have all of uh, every question answered that you have in your head that's a mystery? No, that's not what the word of God is for. Uh, is it to completely, uh, you know, get the roadmap of how things are going to end and figure everything out? Uh, no, even though we do get a lot of, a lot of insight as to what's going to happen in the end days and what to prepare for, we don't get everything answered. The, the purpose of the inspired, God-breathed Word of God is to equip and prepare us to do what He's called us to do. That's it. That's the primary purpose of the Word of God. Teach us what's right and wrong. Tell us how to do. Correct. Admonish. You know, all the, all the things there. Um, and so this is one of the reasons why the meditation and the reading and the memorization uh, is so important. This is a great psalm. This is what I remember memorizing. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against. Anyone know? Yeah, yeah. We were all King James people, right? Uh, you know, you kids have no idea. So anyway, I'm just saying, like, you know, that's what I had to learn everything and memorize everything in was King James. But the purpose of that was to help us understand, like, there is a purpose to this memorization. Not just memorizing this verse, but memorizing a verse about what memorization is and why it matters and how it helps in our lives, right? Prayer is one of those things. I, I tell people sometimes when they struggle with prayer, uh, prayer is all about a heart-to-heart connection with God. So sometimes I tell people, look, if you struggle with prayer, go read Psalms. If you read the Psalms, Psalms is like a vocabulary lesson for prayer because it's all about the heart-to-heart, like most of it was written by David. So David, had, it, it's just completely this heart-to-heart connection. So a lot of the language that we even use in prayer come from the Psalms because of just the nature and the flow of how the Psalms work. Prayer is not the, the genie, you know, wish list, checklist of bringing things to God, informing him of what he, we don't think he knows get asking him to solve the problem the way we think he should solve it. Okay, that's, that's surface level. That's not what prayer should be. Honestly, God so rarely answers my prayers the way I ask him to answer my prayers. But, he does, but the purpose of that is not so that he would answer the way I want him to answer. He's where he would work on me. He changes me far often than, more than he changes my circumstances sometimes. And it only happens through prayer. Fasting, it's connected to prayer because a lot of times when we fast, we, we, we do, we spend that time in prayer. But fasting can be from anything. The purpose of fasting is simply to deny your flesh. That's it. It's to deny your flesh. And a lot of times it's food, you know, but don't, don't be dumb. Like you can't just go on a 40-day fast and not eat anything. You will die. Right? Like, it's, it's, a, it's one of those things. Like, you got to, there's some wisdom to it. There's some tools you, we can help you with. Um, but it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a meal. It could be your, your January. It could be, uh, it could be fasting from social media. It could be fasting from, it could honestly just be from fasting from the things that you feel are pulling an addiction in your heart. Why? Because it's what your flesh is drawn towards. Right? If you go to Instagram or, or whatever first thing in the morning, like, maybe you need to fast from it for a while. And, and that isn't just for the purpose of, of pain <laughs> to, to work through it. The purpose of doing that would be like, hey, instead of opening Instagram, I'm going to open up the Bible app. And I'm going to read through the Bible recap. I'm going I'm to read through Journey's devotion. I'm gonna, does that make sense? Like, it's a purpose of replacing and helping us deny one to focus on what matters most. 
And so, you know, again, when we look at this, study, by the way, that's the last real quick one. Study is, I, I, the reason study matters, okay, and, and you can go from, again, levels, from the SOAP, we teach the SOAP method, you know, choose the scripture, observation, application, prayer, um, you know, that you can get, you can go straight into hermeneutics and, you know, truly get context and understand how something was written, who it's written to. The purpose of study, why it's a discipline, is because we need it in order to be able to interpret the Word of God properly. We, we need to be able to study it, not just read it. You can read it, and it's going to have incredible power and work. Isaiah tells us that just like the rain falls on the mountain and comes down the thing and touches everything, he said, my word goes out and does not return void. So the word of God is going to do its work. But you and I need to study if we're going to have any knowledge and understanding of what it's actually telling us to do. We have to be able to, to understand it. We have to be able to read the Old Testament and know, was it something that was written so that I know what did happen or what should happen? You know, he pulled off the jawbone and killed 2,000 people. Uh Is that what's supposed to happen? Or is that just what did happen? That matters, right? You have to know the differences between Proverbs and promises, right? We have to study to understand that. We have to study the word of God to be able to go, well, this is wisdom and understanding. This is a promise to the the whole of God's people. This cannot be taken out of context as a promise to me today. And this is why study matters. And so I, I say all that to say, that's just a part of the inward disciplines. No one's going to know how long you spent, you know, studying something that morning to try to figure out what that weird person's name was in the Old Testament that you didn't even know if it was significant or not. I've chased down names and come up at the end of and like, I was dumb. I wasted a half hour. But that's part of what study is. God revealing to me, again, part of what we need and the tools we use to help us interpret this living, breathing, active word of God. And the whole, best tool he gives you is the Holy Spirit. That's the best tool he gives you. These, again, inward disciplines. These are the ones that, these aren't flashy. These are the ones that create the depth and the foundation and the substance of your life. Now he goes into the outward disciplines. The outward disciplines, I'm going to give you quick, this quick list. Again, just some things we might not even think about. This is the expression of what's happening to us because of the inward disciplines. Simplicity, solitude and Sabbath rest, submission, service. Most of us go to serving or service because it tends to be the, the quickest sort of connect the dots of, 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 of an expression of what God's doing in us in terms of a discipline. But just look at these others really quickly. Um, simplicity is basically living your life in such a way that intentionally reduces the amount of clutter and noise and distraction. Okay, you don't, you, It's impossible for us in today's world to be connected to everything, to do everything, to, to see everything, to know everything. And yet, that's what the world continues to push on us as access and information to everything. So very similar to, there's some modern books you might have read, like Essentialism by McCowan, uh, there's a one called the one, the one thing. Um, lots of modern writers have kind of been coming back to this. Uh, Richard Foster, who who wrote the, the disciple book, he wrote one called the Freedom of Simplicity. That's a great book too. Like it's all about living a life in such a way that's simple. Now, understand this is not this is like an intentional act, discipline to simplify things. Okay, 
This isn't meant to be like a minimalistic kind of thing, like I only need one jacket and one pair of shoes. You know, it's not, to, it's not some sort of poverty thing. It's, a, it's an understanding of simplicity. And there are seasons in life. We're going to talk more about seasons and rhythms next week, but there are seasons in life where things don't necessarily, you just can't make things simple. If you have two kids under the age of five, your life is not simple. Okay, it's not. And you can't get rid of the children. I've looked it up. I've looked it up. You can't do it. You can't do it just to make your life simple. So, you know, there are that's one of the reasons that solitude and Sabbath is also part of an expression, uh, this outward expression of our faith because uh, this discipline because no matter how simple or chaotic your life is, you still have the opportunity for 6 days he worked and for the 7th day he created rest for us. He created the opportunity for us to get away, to turn it off to shut it down and Sabbath rests so that he can restore us. Again, this, so that we can deal with this. Submission, I love, I'm going to read this for you because I loved this. <laughs> I probably would have never been smart enough to come up with this, this, uh, this idea of a discipline. But here's how he describes the, the spiritual discipline of submission. It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to have your own way. Isn't that good? It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always having to have your own way, and I might even add to that, to always be right. To live in such a way now as a church, and as normal, you know, we don't usually word use their submission, but we do really highlight the fact that humility is a part of our calling to follow Christ. To be like Christ is to, Philippians says, to come in humility. That's why we say humbly point everyone to absolute hope. That's part of what the submission is, this understanding that you don't have to be, you don't have to fight to be right and fight to have your own way in everything. Like the art of submitting and being humble. It's a huge discipline. That's an expression of what God's doing already in you. Service, again, is the one we jump to. And this is what First Peter says. Um, we've been given these gifts. God's given you each a, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Use them to live this out. And, and I love the fact that I, I try to tell people sometimes, like, yes, we try to create opportunities for you to serve. And, you know, you could serve in church. You can, we primarily want you to serve outside of the church, like thinking through outside the four walls of this church and thinking about tithing your time and those kind of things as part of your discipline. But uh, here's, here's, the, here's my favorite understanding of service and why it really matters in terms of the expression of our hearts and what God's doing on the inside. Uh, we're going to read this in Matthew 25. Uh, you probably have heard me read this before, but this is a part of Jesus describing to his disciples sort of what the end times or what, what's going to happen when it's all said and done. Okay, when all the thoughts and prayers and all the attempts and all the in intentions, when everything's sort of wiped away, what's going what's gonna, to what's gonna happen? And he's giving a picture to his disciples of what's going to be happening at this time by using this parable. And he says, uh, the final judgment, he says, this is verse 34. I'm going to start reading. Uh, Matthew 25, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you 
cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And verse 40 says, the king will say to them, I tell you the truth that when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. And this is the thing that I, I, I the reason that we connect the dots so quickly to service, especially when it comes to a spiritual discipline, is understanding that Jesus makes service personal because he takes it personally. Does that make sense? It, it, it's, 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 and I'm trying to say this the right way. But when it's all said and done, what you think you did in his name is going to be measured by this. What you think you accomplished in this life that should be honored is going to be measured by this. And what you did or didn't do to the least of these is what he's going to take personally. Which is why it's a huge part of our outward discipline. But see, understand again, it's not, it's not just like, well, I've got to serve more and I've got to do more. That doesn't happen if you don't look at the word of God as your absolute truth for your life. If you're not meditating and praying and having these times of inward reflection with God and through the Holy Spirit, then there's going to be no drive to serve someone else. There's going to be no drive to, to, to tune down the noise and to, and to try to enter a life of simplicity. And then we go into the third category, which he calls the corporate expressions. Okay, so the corporate expressions. Uh, these are, sorry, not corporate expressions, corporate disciplines. Again, this is part, you're going to see some of these things and you'll be like, well, I can do that individually, and that's true. But, but just, he's talking specifically about disciplines that matter in the collective because they do something unique in the collective of God's people when they do it together. Here's a great, this is the Acts 2, this is a great picture. Luke is uh, recording the early church, the, you know, the, kind of the beginning of the church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. The deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared uh, everything that they had. It goes on to say that they sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. It's very, very different in terms of communal living, but that's what they did. Uh, they worshiped together at the temple each day, uh, but they also met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God, they were enjoying the goodwill, goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This beautiful picture of the church had a lot to do with the collective, the collective that was happening because of what God's people were doing together as a reflection of the body of Christ, as a reflection of the church, is what he actually goes on and continues to write about in Acts. 
So here's what, how Foster breaks up the outward disciplines. Again, the collective. Confession. All right, now this is, uh, some, some churches and denomination, denominations have liturgy um, where they actually have corporate times of confession. Uh, and it's similar to kind of like the Catholic confession side. The Catholic confession side is very private. You go into a little booth and the priest, only one who hears you and kind of gives you the thing. Uh, some, we were part of the Presbyterian denomination for a while. And there were prayers of confession that we would do as a church together. I don't know if you've anybody ever heard these. I'll give you a quick example of a prayer confession. God, you are amazing. And then that's one sentence, right? And then there are seven sentences about God, I am not amazing, I suck, I am dirt, I'm worse than the slime of the snail of the thing. That's seven sentences. And then the last sentence would be, but God, you're amazing. Thank you for your grace. And listen, I'm not against prayers confession. Matter of fact, one of the favorite things I read for my own personal devotion is some prayers of confession. I love doing that just for me. What tends to happen in liturgy that's corporate, it tends to get really rote. It tends to get very in the motions. You're reading the words. You're not really meaning the words. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, Richard Foster's not talking about that kind of confession. He's really talking about the James uh, you know, the brother of Jesus, when James says, confess your sin to one another, right, and experience healing, meaning that there's a collective and communal design that God says confession should be a part of your life with other believers and that there should be people in your life, other believers, who kind of know your junk, you know, not for the purpose of knowing it, not for the purpose of gossip, but because they want to pray for you and be an ally to you and uplift you and encourage you or challenge you. That's the purpose. The purpose is that you have people, community, and people in your life that are followers of Christ, and there should be confession involved. I'm not loving this person the way I should be loving them. I'm not doing the right thing at work right now. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm losing it with my children way more than I should be. And there needs to be a collective, again, people, and this is specific to Christians, okay, Christians who, who, who believe in the same power of the same Holy Spirit that's driving you and him, there needs to be people in your life who get that, who hear it. And that's just how God designed it to be a part of experiencing healing as well. There's, uh, there's worship, and you could say, well, I, I can worship on my own. It's true. You know, you can worship in your car and do your thing, and that's great. You know, that's awesome. Uh, it can be individual to you. But that's not the kind of worship he's referring to. He's talking about this sacrificial act of, of, of the way we give and, and unity. Okay, unity is a big one, right? The sacrificial act of in the room we have, you know, young people and teenagers and teenagers and 20-year-olds who think they know everything and 30-year-olds who are starting to realize they don't and 40-year-olds who are just lost, right? And 60 and 70-year-olds who finally figured some things out, but they, you know, they're still beat up from life, you know? And so we got all these people in the room and, you know, some of them, some of you guys drive, you know, big gas-guzzling trucks and SUVs and some of you drive little little fits and Tesla things and like like a little little, little uh, golf cart. You can't even hear them going, you know? And like some of you do that and some of you are 
Republicans, and some of you are, are Democrats, and some of you guys are, you know, believe the, the flat earth, and some of you, you know, I'm trying to say, like, I don't want to get crazy. <laughs> but there is something significant to the sacrificial unity of you coming together under one roof to praise the name of Jesus, to put those things aside. That's what he's talking about. Giving in such a way that you understand that you are a steward of everything that God's given you, that you are, you are simply not just being generous for generous sake, but the fact that God has blessed you with so much, why would you ever not bless others when you have an opportunity to do so? That's what he's talking about. Uh, celebration, or sorry, guidance, which has to do with, again, that, uh, that scripture we read about rebuking and encouraging one another. We're going to read another one. Celebration, which is that praise and thanksgiving. That's more of like this, more of the coming together to sing and worship and celebrate the greatness of God. That's more under the celebration uh, uh, side of things when he talks about uh, corporate worship. So here's some, some of the passages that I love. Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's hold, uh, think of ways to motivate one another, right? That's the guidance uh, piece, to act of love and good works, right? Let's not neglect our meeting together. Let's not neglect the, 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 the gathering, the collective nature of what God designed, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. But see, again, you don't really, that doesn't really work unless there's inward and outward disciplines that help motivate your corporate discipline. Keep going. This is the giving. This is Proverbs. A generous person prospers. Um, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And again, that's a proverb. Understand the wisdom of that. It's like, you know, it's not just about you in gratitude and obedience, being generous and, and giving tithes and offerings back to God. Like, there's something in it for you. You reap what you sow. That's the reality. Here's uh, what he writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn who are those who are lazy and encourage those who are timid and take tender care of those who are weak. Now, there's no way you can know any of those things unless you're doing community with other people. There's no way to know that. And he says, obviously, be patient with everyone. Don't pay back evil for evil. Always try to do good to each other and to all people. And then he goes on to say, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. A lot of people are, you know, always trying to figure out, well, what's God's will? Am I supposed to do this thing? Am I supposed to make this decision? Is it this one, is it this one or is it this one? Is it that or is it that? I don't know. I know what God, the Bible says is God's will, and it has to start there. Like, you have to start being in the center of his will that's spoken and written before you can really unlock the mystery of his will for the things that are specific to you. I already, I, you know, that's what we see in Scripture. But it requires that discipline, that communal and, and or, um, uh, community and collective discipline that comes about. Now, brief thing here, especially if this is you, I don't mean to pick on you today, but tends to be sometimes in the early January, you know, beginning of the new year, sometimes it's the fall, you know, you, you haven't been to church in a while, and it's like, oh, I got to go to church, and I really need to get back to church, and you're back to church. And if you're, that's you here today, we're so glad you're here. Right? We're, we really are. We're so glad you're here. But I hope what you see, you know, in terms of these disciplines, is that if, you're, if it's just a goal, if it's just a checkbox to just kind of get back into church more often, it's going to fail. Because it doesn't have any of the inward 
disciplines or any of the outward disciplines to help fuel the corporate discipline. Because all these are really intertwined. Which is why I said earlier, it's not a checkbox <laughs> for you. Real quick, I'm going to end with this on the corporate discipline. I, uh, for those of you who didn't know, I, was, uh, I, was, um, I had got the flu right before Christmas Eve. So I was unable to be a part of any of our Christmas Eve services. Uh, it hit me like, uh, I don't know, Thursday or Friday. Uh, it felt like a truck. A truck hit me. Um, and I went down hard, and my daughter went down hard, and my wife and other daughter had already had, was sick the week before, and I mean, it just, it just wiped it. And I was, and just understand, for me, um, I, I'm, it had nothing to do with me preaching or teaching, like, I love doing it, but that's not the big deal for me. I, Christmas, especially Christmas, probably even more so than Easter, honestly, Christmas, I'm older now, you know, my kids are older, the magic of Christmas isn't quite what it used to be, you know, it's a little bit more of a process, and so, honestly, one of the few things about Christmas that really just light my fire is coming and being a part of the church, especially on Christmas Eve. I mean, it was huge. So even like Saturday, I'm still 103 fever, and I can't, you know, I'm coughing, and I've already told Chris and Pastor Chris and Pastor Mike that you're going to be preaching, and I already had them teed up, and that was great. That was fine. But I'm still praying at this point, like, please, sweet Jesus, I know it's a selfish prayer, but I'm going to pray it anyway. It's for me that I want to be there. It's, it's for me, that, that I, and it's hard sometimes to describe it to people, so I'm Sunday morning, I'm in my chair watching service on my laptop, and I'm so thankful. Listen, our team and Shin and the whole production, they do such an amazing job to give us a, 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 a window into this service for when we're sick or when we're on vacation or when we're traveling. So I'm so thankful we have that. But as I'm doing that, and on Sunday night, Parker and I are watching Christmas Eve service, and I'm, I got it on the big TV, and I'm, you know, just standing around yelling at the TV and, you know, things like that. And I'm just, and I, and I'm just like, how could anyone want this? How would, why would anybody choose this over being a part of the service? Being physically here, I didn't, like, I don't understand it. Hey, and I understand there's some introverts, and that's great, that's fine, I understand you, and some people like to wear their pajamas, and that's fine. Look, you can wear your pajamas here, but some people would barely notice. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I was so drawn to the fact that as good as that can be when it's necessary, I was grieved because part of the joy of my inward and my outward disciplines are the corporate disciplines. I, I'm, I'm drawn to it. I love it. I want to get, you know, I can listen in my car to, you know, Southern Gospel and do my own little worship thing that no one else enjoys, including my family. All right, like, I, I can do my own little thing and worship and do my little thing, but it's not the same as being in here, declaring like we did today that all th through th him and to him and through him are all things. All you, you know, people who can't sing, I love it, okay? I just love the joyful noise that's made when the people of God come together. But again, if it was, I can promise you, if it, if it didn't accompany the fact that I'm so driven by those inward and outward disciplines that part of that corporate, it, it's just tied to it. 
So I say all that to say, again, don't check, don't, this isn't a list to check. I really am encouraging you. We're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about how, how do we, there are rhythms and seasons in which, yeah, we might be focusing a little bit more on some of the disciplines, and that's okay. Okay, it's not like choosing things off a list, but there's rhythms and seasons that we have to do that. That's okay. And we're going to talk about how do we, you know, not just start things, but how do we finish well? How do we keep it, make it stick throughout the rest of the year? We're going to talk about those things in the next couple weeks, but today I just really want you to think through those three areas, those inward, outward, and, and, and corporate dis- disciplines, and how they're intertwined, and just begin to pray through God. Well, you know, where do you want me to begin? Where do I start in the inward so I can experience more of the outward and experience more of the corporate? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much again the way your word challenges us. And I am thankful, God, that, that, um, that these things do not stand alone. Yes, the disciplines are different and they, and they have their own unique things in terms of benefits for our life. And yet, God, they are so intertwined. They're so connected. And I, th- I really do believe because it's just one spirit and one God by which all of these things uh, come to us and by which all of these things help us focus back to you. And God, I'm praying that as we begin this year, as 2024 happens, that this, uh, this process, is, as uh, Foster calls it, of indirection, where we are putting effort into the things we can put effort into, our disciplines and the things we can engage in, that God, we would begin to experience the resources and the power of your Holy Spirit at work, in, especially in areas of forgiveness and loving others and, 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 and those things that we simply cannot do on our own. That God, you begin to show that in us and we begin to experience that personally. God, as a church, I just pray that you would give everybody the, the heart intention to have a thirst and a hunger for God that that would be the thing that really kicks off this year, that they want to draw closer to you, even as Pastor Shin said, that that you are enough for them. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.